MSW Media. Welcome to the show. I'm Dan Dunn. And what we're drinking today is tequila. Villa One tequila, to be precise. And I'll be having some with the co-founders of that company, Nick Jonas and John Varvatos, right here on the program. Also, a little bit later in the show, they're going to have a superstar in the making. It's a new artist. Her name is Arely Castro. She goes by the moniker King Mala. And I've just discovered her. She's got a single out called She Calls Me Daddy. And I love this thing. I love this song. And so I managed to track her down. And she's going to be on the program as well. We're going to get new music alert, folks. Get ready. As I mentioned, tequila is what we're drinking. But right now I'm actually drinking coffee. Regular listeners to the show know that I love coffee. I do. And I'm I'm, only, like, I'm an experimenter. I like to try all different kinds of coffees. I Recently on the show, I told you about Fire Department Coffee, which I really love. So I came across another one. It's called Super Coffee. That's right, Super Coffee. I'm drinking some right now. I'm drinking the Super Espresso Triple Shot. I'm going to get jacked up. I'm going to be so jacked up by the end of the show. So, mm. Yeah, I'm hitting it. So it's a, uh, it's a bottled coffee brand. Apparently, it's the fastest growing. It's behind Starbucks and Dunkin' Donuts. It was founded by these three brothers called the the Chico Brothers, Jimmy, Jake, and Jordan. Jimmy, Jake, and Jordan. And they found this back in 2015. But some of the investors in this company include Alex Rodriguez and Jennifer Lopez, though who knows where that's going to go now. I don't know. Are they splitting it up? Are they splitting up the investment? I don't know. Aaron Rodgers, you know him as the host of Jeopardy, or guest host of Jeopardy. Also plays a little football. Byron Davis, football player. Uh, no, he's a basketball player. It says Byron Davis. I think it's Baron Davis, but maybe they're wrong. And then Patrick Schwarzenegger, son of Arnold. They're all invested in this thing. And uh, I got to say, I like the coffee. They got regular uh, ground coffee that I've been making in the morning. And what's nice about this is, you know, it's there's like vitamins and protein, no calorie sweeteners, MCT oil, antioxidants. They're not a sponsor. They're not a sponsor of this show. I just like the coffee. So I'm telling you about it. Drink it and get it on. Also, today, the day this episode drops is April 20th. That's 420. Any of my fellow marijuana smokers out there know what 420 means? Yes. I'm going to get high a little bit later. I like, you know, I like edibles. I take edibles at night. I get these mints that I take to help me sleep, but I do like to smoke a little pot, watch some TV. It mellows me out. I'm very, I'm a big fan. Uh, those, again, you listen to the show regularly, you know that I had a relationship with the uh, late great Hunter S. Thompson and, and Hunter loved weed. That's really how I got turned on to weed. Years ago, I remember Anita, Hunter's widow, had come up with a plan where she was going to get she had kept some of his weed and she was going to take these strains of weed and clone them and bring them to market, try to raise some money. And I don't, I, you know, I, I don't know whatever happened to it. I, I've been looking, and I guess it never did come out, but it was, they were going to put out like six different strains of this Hunter S. Thompson weed. It didn't happen. Kind of a bummer. I miss smoking Hunter's pot. He had the best pot. Here's Hunter. I dug up a, an old video of him. This gotta be in the early seventies. Uh, talking about marijuana and cops and regulations on marijuana. It's very interesting stuff here. Check it out. Marijuana laws are one of the reasons that, that has uh, engendered this lack of respect that, the, uh, that cops complain about all over the country. 
When you get a whole generation that grows up as felons, and they know the law is ridiculous, and they're told all this gibberish about it, uh, it uh, drives you crazy and makes your brain soft and your feet fall off. And, uh, even the police know it's a silly law. It's time that we either bridge that chasm with some kind of realistic law enforcement, or else it's, I don't think it's going to be bridged in this country. We're going to revolution. Ah, the good doctor. I miss him. I miss him a lot. What else? I invite you to follow me at the Imbiber on Instagram and Twitter. Check out whatwe'redrinking.com, the website. I want to hear from you, so you can you can message me on Instagram. You can also go to uh, info at whatwe'redrinking.com. That's email. And if you want to email in questions, you can write them out, or you can do. I prefer little audio files, and and I'll answer your questions right here on this very podcast. Me? Do I sound like I'm dragging a little? Me? Have more of this super espresso. Wake up, Dan. Wake up. Wake up. Hmm. All right. That's better. Give me the jolt. Anyway, today's question, we got a question, I'm going to answer it. It comes from Mary. And this is what Mary wants to know. Hey, Dan. Big fan of your show. So you're always talking about how excited you are to get back to the bar scene now that the restrictions are starting to lift with COVID. So I'm just curious, what is your favorite kind of bar? What's What are you the most excited to go back to? Is it dive bars? Is it a sports bar? Curious. Well, thanks for that question, Mary. Um, I And I am really excited to get back out into the world. We all are, right? And bars, I mean, my favorite kinds of bars, I, you know, I love a good neighborhood dive. Neighborhood dive, you know, there's no frills joints and they're owned by guys named Sully or Mac. They're open every day from 6 a.m. until 4 a.m. And they cater to a tightly knit, fiercely loyal clientele. You know, people that, like me, that I revel in that, like the camaraderie and the cheap drinks and the proximity to home. I mean, they're just, you know, they're beyond being temples of worship for the local sports franchises, the neighborhood dive, they don't purport to have a concept or a theme. They might serve food, but you can be damn sure none of the regulars ever called it a gastropub. You know, with the exception of replacing a worn-out dartboard every decade or so or updating the jukebox selections, they don't keep up with the times. They're enduring reminders that the more things change, the more working class drinkers remain the same. And to me, that's poetry. So, I, Mary, I, you know, I love a good neighborhood dive. I like pubs, too. And, you know, you might be thinking, well, isn't a pub a neighborhood dive? No, but pubs differ from dive bars and that they're usually larger, they're cleaner, they're more tourist friendly. And when I say tourist, I mean, you know, anyone who didn't grow up within a three mile radius of the place. They, they tend to be cozy spots where a lot of drinking gets done, but you're far less likely to see someone projectile vomit onto his wife or something or get beat up by a teamster, collapse and die of liver failure. Pubs offer good beer, reasonably priced drinks, greasy cheeseburgers that just taste awesome after midnight. It's a place by me called Hinano. Like, that fits. Oh, Hinano's probably right in the middle of Die Bar and Pub. The cool people to jag off ratio in these places tends to hover around 10 to 1. I love it. I love a good pub. And what else? I mean, I'm I like a hotel bar when I get to traveling again. You know, they come in many shapes and sizes, but they have one defining characteristic that unites them. Hotel bars are always located within stumbling distance of a bedroom. And that means possibilities. Not all of them good ones. And I don't know. What other kind of bars do I like? I mean, you know, you can't knock a sports bar either. I mean, in addition to being the type of bar responsible for the second highest number of divorces, sports bars are like a factor in a large number of DUI arrests, full-scale brawls, illegal gambling rings, chicken wing choking incidents. As a result, men can't seem to get enough of these places. It's because men, while occasionally cute and cuddly, are complete assholes most of the time. With the exception of a few really raunchy sex clubs, there's nowhere a man can tap into his inner asshole more completely than a place where the menus are shaped like goalie masks and feature meals named after ballparks and Heisman Trophy winners 
Though to be fair, I have to admit that I once had a transcendent dining experience at a uh, Hooters, actually, in South Florida. Though I have a suspicion that that owes something to the fact that the Eagles were winning against the Giants in a divisional round playoff game and that our waitress insisted and... Yeah, you know, I won't even go there. Uh, but uh, Hooters, yeah. And uh, I got to say, though, the whole thing, it, 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 the whole ambiance of the place, it elevated my pasta testaverde with marinara sauce and peppers to legendary status. Mamma mia, what a meal. So I hope that answers your question, Mary. And, and you know, go to whatever kind of bar you want to go to. Just get back out there. It's coming. Maybe July, August. That's where I really got that kind of locked in is when we're going to be able to do this stuff. So anybody else got questions out there, you fire them off to me again at the imbiber at WWD underscore podcast. That's Instagram. Twitter's at the imbiber and info at what we're drinking.com is where you can email stuff. Yeah. Think of that. Ready for some Nick Jonas and John Barbados. Yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready. As the host of a show called what we're drinking, people often ask me, Hey, what are you drinking? When it comes to American-made whiskey, my go-to is Rabbit Hole. Their unique recipes were created by their founder, a guy named Cave. He and his team at Rabbit Hole spare no expense in making their bourbon and rye. They have their own cooking methods and use top-of-the-line grains. They never chill filter, and they use barrels that are toasted, charred, and wood-fired, which almost nobody does. What you end up with is a line of bourbon and rye with these really rich, deep flavors that are unlike anything you've ever tasted. What are you having? It's a question as old as the bartending profession itself. And if you ask me, the answer is rabbit hole. Joining me now are the co-founders of Villa One Tequila, John Varvatos and Nick Jonas. Gentlemen, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having us. Yeah, for sure. Pleasure to be here. It's great to have you. I, uh, I'm the resident spirits expert on the Adam Carolla show. We did a segment a few weeks ago where I brought in some celebrity brands, and Villa One was one of them, and it was a big hit. Actually, the two biggest hits of the segment were you and Cranston and Aaron Paul's Mezcal, Dos Hombres. So that does beg the obvious question. What is going on with famous people in agave-based spirits? Because it's I watched it from the beginning. I was the booze writer for Playboy a long time ago, and I remember when Sammy Hagar started Cabo Wabo, and, and now it's kind of gone to we've got you guys, The Rock, Clooney, Pitbull, Rita Oro, on and on and on and on. Why is it tequila and mezcal? Well, I think there's probably a lot of reasons. I think you know one of the things that I was initially drawn to about tequila uh, was the you know low caloric intake and and low sugar, low carbohydrates. So it, it it could make sense that there is you know a connection between people in the entertainment business wanting to live a, a clean lifestyle, um, you know even while they drink. And so you know uh, the agave of it all definitely uh, helps that. And uh, it's such an art, you know. And and I think for for John and I both, when we got to sit down and work with Arturo Fuentes our master distiller and go through the process. We learned so much. Um, and, and I was so inspired leaving that initial tasting. Um, and, and I kind of wanted to carry that same, uh, level of care and focus that he brings to every aspect of the distilling process to all the work that I do outside of, uh, this venture with John. Um, but you know, this, this explosion in this category is, is great. Um, it just means there's a lot of really great product out there, but I feel like uh, I will go on record and say I think Villa One is the best uh, of those uh, celebrity-endorsed uh, tequilas and and other agave spirits, and that's because John and I focused on saying, okay, let's let's make sure the star of the show initially is what's in that bottle and not us, and and uh, making sure that we have something we're really proud of that we can put our stamp of approval on, and uh, feel like you know we're ready to step out and, and make a lot of noise and. So it's been it's just been great to see the the response so far to Villa One and to see it continuing to grow every day. By the way, I can't wait for the next time you're in the room with The Rock. Could there be a throwdown here? On <laughs> I heard what you said, man. <laughs> um, well, some sometimes the truth hurts. <laughs> yeah, I mean he he posted a video the other day of him drinking his tequila and he was doing shots out of the bottle. Um, I was very impressed by the volume at which he was able to consume uh the the tequila he was drinking um <clears throat> but maybe a, a more civilized uh, shot for shot we could just sit down and talk through the 
the differences of our tequila, but it's all love. You know, that's what John and I kind of always say is we, we invite and welcome the competition. It just means that there's a lot of people that want to make a, a, you know, a great tequila and, and we're tequila mm-hmm. lovers. So why, why would we not invite that competition and, and embrace this, this uh, very exciting and explosive category? Well, you mentioned Arturo Fuentes. He's he's with, been with the Stoli Group for a long time. He's you know worked on a lot of iconic brands, and you guys are making uh, Fabrica de Tequilas Finos, right? Is where you're where you're manufacturing your tequila, correct? And they make a lot of great brands yeah. down there. How did that happen? How what were you on vacation? It was a couple of years ago, about three years ago, right? Yeah, I mean we're yeah we make down at the Finos Distillery in Elisco, Mexico, and um, Nick actually had a uh, he can talk to it a bit too. He had a pre-existing uh, relationship with Stoli. I don't really remember what it was, um, but we had been talking ourselves about our passion for tequila, um, and I've been drinking it for thirty years, um, so it's not like a new thing. Uh, But as you watch where tequila has gone over the years and the quality of it, we were also asking ourselves, like, why does great tequila have to be $150? Why couldn't we be best in class in the ultra premium tequila Um, and really go up against a lot of the brands that really have the market share there, which isn't even promote for the most part. They're not even great tequilas. So that's where Arturo came into the picture. He was running the Finos Distillery from a, a production standpoint. As you said, he's got a real history. In fact, down there, they call him the godfather of tequila in that area. You walk down the street with him, and it's like a, a scene from the godfather. And But but they're really talking about tequila. They're not talking about uh, who was murdered the, the day before. Cement shoes or anything uh, like this. Were, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so... Um, yeah, that's kind of how we got there. And, and um, it's been, uh, as Nick said earlier, a real learning experience for us because we knew what we liked. We liked, we knew what our taste profile direction was. But having someone that was the real expert there um, that really could help guide us um, and find new ways to make the taste profile interesting Um and also, um, as we said, best in class, it's really was our, was our goal throughout this whole process. When you say you had an idea what flavor profile you were looking for, what, how would you describe that, Nick? How would you describe the flavor profile of the, of the silver right off the bat? Well, you know, the thing that was uh, interesting about this journey was that uh, when I started drinking, um, you know, I was really drawn to tequila be- because I'm a, a type 1 diabetic and and all the things I mentioned before about the low calorie, low carb, all that. Um, and so I was sort of a, a new drinker at the time in which uh, ultra premium tequilas really started blowing up. Um, so I was exposed to some great tequilas early on. Um, and, you know, I, I prefer not to necessarily mention what, what those are just, but, but great stuff. Sure. Um, and within that, I, um, I, I, quickly sort of figured out what I liked. And I think what was most important to me personally, and, and John speak this too, but when it came to our silver, you know, there were so many uh, tequilas out there that I feel like were, were very alcohol forward, uh, were a little aggressive in your face. Um, and, and so Arturo immediately said, well, I want to do this thing where we combine the agave from the lowlands and the highlands, which is going to give it this blend. And he, he referenced Reposados actually speaking to the silver or the the blanco, saying I wanted to to have the the, the consistency more like a reposado or like an añejo, but to have the crisp feel of a, a silver or a blanco, um, and also to 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 really be conscious of that blend um, and just the simplicity of it. You know, we first obviously drank during these tastings the tequila just out of champagne flutes and. Uh, without any ice or any mixers or anything like that. But another thing that stood out to me was knowing that most of the time, and especially as we look at expanding this as a business, uh, you know, to uh, restaurants, bars, the silver is going to be one that they, they mix into cocktails. Sure. So, you know, you're, you're kind of nervous because there is that sort of feel is, is this, uh, is this guy who knows a lot more about tequila than we do? Is he going to think that, uh, you know, we're, we're stupid for asking how it's going to blend, but he was like, listen, I want you to, drink this and also take some time on your on your own to mix it with some cocktails to drink it how you want to drink it so that the you know the buyer the consumer of this product 
really feels like you guys invested not just the uh, the process of drinking in its pure purest form, but also how it will translate into a cocktail and and what you want to say with this. So that was a long winded answer to say that for me the priorities were uh, smoothness, this this crisp crisp feel that would uh, naturally blend well, and something that that combines some of those earthier notes that you don't necessarily always get with a with a silver. That because of that lowland highland uh, combination, we were able to make something I think that that stands out. And so everybody sort of understands what Nick's talking about. So when you're, if you're looking at Mexico on the map, in the middle, you've got Guadalajara. And then when you head west, you're heading towards the town of Tequila, which is where your distillery is. And if you go the other way towards Los Altos, you've got the Highland area up there. So it's kind of a big circle in the state of Jalisco around Guadalajara, which is where Tequila is primarily made, and by law, there are a couple of places outside of Jalisco where they can still call it tequila. And then when we talk about aging, as I've mentioned here before, Blancos or silver tequilas are tequilas, again, this is you know legal definition, under two months in the barrel, generally spends no time in the barrel. I'm guessing your silver doesn't go in the barrel at all, right? And then a reposado, which is rested, is two months to a year, and anything over a year is Añejo tequila. And I'm curious, John, you know, Nick mentioned what he was looking for taste-wise. Do you like the influence on wood on tequila and how much? And, and I guess I ask that because I, I am a fan of aged tequilas and sipping tequilas, but in terms of distil- spirits that spend time in wood, it's not my favorite and the reason being is I love the pure flavor of agave without that wood influence on it too much. So how do you feel about an Añejo versus a silver tequila? Well, there's a big distance between, as you said, Añejo and silver. I mean, uh, silver comes right out of the tap, really, after it's been distilled and, and cooked and distilled, where the Añejo is 12 to 16 months in American oak barrels. So you definitely start at 12 to 16 months, you definitely start to pick up much more of the woody oakiness of it. The repo, which is like six months, six plus months, ours is anyway, in American oak, you get a hint of it, but it also is, you know, both Nick and I's favorite um, type is the repo. We love, we love the, the notes um, that are in it. We like the little touch of, of woodiness. I think the Añejo is a sipping tequila. It's not really, it's kind of a after dinner type of thing. And it's, it's quite special in its own right, for sure. We've learned to, we weren't big Añejo drinkers before. We drank, you know, a lot of uh, Repo and Silver, and we've really learned to love that. Um, so once you start to put in notes of whether it's butterscotch or caramel or whatever it is from anybody into their, it all that with the woodiness, all of those things, you know, it's, it's like making a perfume in a way. It's the magic of all of the the percentages of all those things, mixing the the amount of time they're laying in those barrels. But yeah, there's a, um, there's a big drastic difference between silver and Añejo. Silver, as, as Nick said, most people mix it. We really went after our silver, so you can sip it if you want. You can definitely do shots with it and don't have the burn because I think most the reason most people mix it is because people love mixed drinks and also generally silvers give you a burn. Nick, you're you're enjoying a cocktail right now. What do you what do you got? Uh, well, during this lockdown quarantine time, I got really into mixology because uh, I had nothing better to do really. Um, so I've got a few cocktails that I make for each of our different expressions. Um, right now I'm drinking a minty margarita. So it's kind of a mojito meets a margarita, but it's, it's got no sweeteners in it. Um, so what I do is I, I muddle up some, some mint leaves, do some lime juice, uh, do the, the silver, uh, and a little bit of rose water actually as well, which is, is kind of nice just for a bit of a surprise taste. And then just shake that up and pour it over ice with a little salt rim. But I discovered another one last night, uh, again, just playing around with different things and, and kind of having fun. But I was originally making this cocktail with the Añejo and doing it as kind of an after dinner drink. So I was taking a, a shot of espresso, the Añejo, and then basically shaking that up, pouring it up or on the rocks, whatever you prefer, and then taking a, a blowtorch and, and for like a creme brulee or for a cigar and burning, you know, an orange rind. 
And it just brought out all these wonderful flavors, the citrus, but also some of that smoke. Um, so what I, what I did was I put those same ingredients uh, apart from the, the shot of espresso into a shaker and did that. And then actually added just a touch of, um, a touch of what's it called? Uh, oh, sorry. Uh, chocolate bitters, which just gave it this great sort of sweetness at the end that wasn't too in your face. And again, wasn't overly sweet. Um, but it, it just, it's been fun to play around. And what I'm realizing is that I'm, I'm still discovering new things, even though we've now lived with this tequila for almost uh, a year and a half. Uh, but there's, there's so many flavors that I continue to discover and, and kind of love figuring out while I'm just sitting at home with nothing better to do, but then to make the cocktails. I was going to say, have you, have you had any sort of formal training? Cause this is what you're doing. Sounds fairly elaborate, man. Are you just watching YouTube videos or something? No, no formal training. Uh, just, just spent enough time at restaurants, watching mixologists do their thing to, uh, fake it till I make it. And then my wife is my, my taste test. And so she approves or gives me the thumbs down on each one of the cocktails that I make. Well, speaking of that and, and being out in bars and whatnot, I mean, we're, we're all looking forward to that coming back, certainly. And, you know, I know with especially brands that are owned by notable people is, you got to get out and do the work. You got to go to the cocktail festivals. You got to go work the bars. I mean, is that something you guys want to do or looking forward to doing? Yeah, for sure. I mean, we've actually done it uh, in the off premise. So in the, in the liquor stores and that we were doing it um, uh, from the time we launched at the end of 2019 um, until everything shut down um, and then bits and pieces along the way. Um, also the same thing with the restaurants and bars, you know, it's, uh, you know, listen, we're super passionate, as Nick said about this before, we wake up every day, kind of thinking about Villa One and go to sleep every night at the same with the same kind of thoughts. And this isn't a part time thing with us. This is a this isn't just a passion project. This is a, something that we really take very seriously. So we understand the relationships. We understand the importance of all of that. And it's actually a lot of fun. It's great to thank you for the compliments on the on your tasting that you did, because that's when we go out and we get that reaction from a bartender who's, you know, questioning, do I need another tequila when he's looking at his back bar? And then all of a sudden you get the, wow, didn't expect this. This is amazing type of thing that makes everything you do. And all the time you, you spend on the road traveling with it really worthwhile. Obviously you guys have both made names for yourselves in other endeavors and you've created great art. And how does this correlate in terms of you know, Nick, you write a great song. Is it is it a similar kind of feeling? Because there's a lot of, you know, the craftsmanship that goes into making tequila, you alluded to earlier. Do you get that same kind of feeling when you, when you taste it and go, Jesus, man, like, we did this? Yeah, I think one of the things early on that's been um, exciting about this journey and, and really fulfilling is, is the surprise, as John mentioned. You know, people are still becoming familiar and aware of the brand. Uh, and with the with Villa One as a whole, so when they taste it, they can't believe it, and and uh, it's kind of like, you know, being counted out or something, right? So if you you write a great song, and maybe there's a song the, the the same week that it comes out that's doing slightly better, but over time, that song that you wrote continues to grow, and more people start to love it. Uh, there's a, a gratification in in a year later looking up and saying, okay, it took a year, but we got to number one or we got top five. Uh, and I think that's where John and I, where our heads are at is like, we're starting to see that moment where people are becoming familiar with it and loving it with a, with a passion and excited to share it with their friends and family. And I think that there is that, that similarity between, you know, uh, music and television and film, uh, fashion and, and fragrance, you know, these things and the correlation with, with uh, spirits is, is that they become a part of the fabric of people's lives, you know, and, and uh, something that they go to, to enjoy, to, to cut loose, whether it's a great song, their favorite jacket or a glass of tequila. There's something really nice about being able to sit down and just enjoy something with the people you love and, and have that memory attached to it. Uh, I think it, it is even more significant in some ways because it's something that I'm able to consume uh, and, and love just as much as, having made it. Whereas if I sit and listen to my own music, 
around a bunch of friends, they might be like, all right, dude, let's listen to some Bee Gees or something else. I was going to say, that's got, that's got to be the really gratifying part because if you're, again, if you're, yeah, if you're out and someone puts on your music, it's, it's got to be awkward, right? You know, like, I don't want to say, or if somebody shows up and they're, they're head to toe in John Barbados clothing, you're wearing the cologne. It's like, all right, this is weird. But you, you hit it, Nick, when you said the tequila, that's a communal thing. You know, that's not weird to sit around and go, hey, guys, here's our tequila. Let's let's have some of this. And it's got to be a real source of pride for you guys. Totally. I mean, there there is the the, the factor of, you know, before a record comes out or a song comes out, you probably play it a hundred times with your friends and family. But once it's out there in the world, it's sort of like, okay, now it's weird if we play it because everyone has it. But with this, uh, it's even more exciting now that it's out there and growing for us to sit down and, and, you know, really take pride in, in what we have here and know also that there's so much room to grow, but it's a, it's a very unique thing. It's, um, it's strange to be partner, uh, you know, founder slash consumer and lover fan of the thing. Uh, but that's the, the dream, I guess. I got to ask you, Nick, I, this is a little bit off topic, but I watched, uh, I was watching recently the Bear Grylls show that you did where you went out in the wilderness it looked really fucking cold. <laughs> I got to ask you, <laughs> when you went into that, you, so there was a part at the end of the episode, and I don't, what was it? it, it I forget the name. It's Bear Grylls, where he hangs with celebrities and he takes them into these extreme conditions. And at the end of the episode, you get in the water and you look like you were genuinely uncomfortable at the end of that. Was that as bad as it looked? Yeah. It was worse than it looked. Um, I mean, bear bear's great, and the whole experience was was really phenomenal, uh, front to back. Uh, except for you know, we we did literally stay in the mountain during a blizzard, you know, in the middle of this mountain and just a tent. So uh, you sit after your day of shooting traversing this mountain and then the the film crew leaves and it's just you bear and his right hand guy who's this uh you know this adventure specialist and i think one of his uh sas uh comrades or whatever and 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 so you sit there and you you cook your food over the fire and and then you talk and share some stories and it's just three of you and you go to bed and in this scenario, it was, you know, 10 below or something. So I'm, I'm freezing. I'd sent a picture with whatever battery left I had on my phone to my family of just my face basically Please, frozen. Come I said, save me. If I, if I die, <laughs> you know, this is, this is my face. Don't forget. Um, so we woke up the next morning and as we're going down the mountain, I said something to the effect of, uh, dude, this has been so much fun. And, and this wasn't, I thought it'd be really scary and really, you know, intense, but it's been fairly simple. It's like, we just wait. And I thought he was messing with me, but then we got to this frozen lake and we in fact had to swim across it. And there is something that kicks in, you know, when your body is submerged in temperatures that are that low without any clothes on or anything, uh, <laughs> you go into shock, right? So I sort of froze up, but then some sort of warrior spirit kicked in and I just pushed through, but it it was horrible. I'm, I'm not going to lie. And, and I, I thought my man. feet were going to fall off and it was, it was a lot. <laughs> I, I used to live in, uh, I used to live in Aspen, Colorado. And, and there was a place up when you go up out of town called the punch bowl, where you'd go up there after this winter and you jump in and this is all mountain snow runoff. And exactly what you said, because the second you hit the water, it's, it's an indescribable feeling like what, what's happening to me. And then just something kicks in where you go, 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 get out. I think it's cause my nuts were shooting out of my ears at that point. And you're like, go get out. And you just start, your yeah. body starts moving. You're like, okay, oh, gotta get out, gotta get out, gotta get out. So guys, I want to thank you for taking the time. As you can see, I am a fan. And by the way, what a, a beautiful bottle. You guys designed this, the two of you designed this bottle. Yep. Yep. Uh, John, you've got some design background, right? If I'm familiar with that, I apparently a little bit, yeah. a little bit. Yeah. Little bit. We worked that. together and yeah, we're proud of all of it. I mean, you know, as we, as Nick said earlier, it's the magic that's in the bottle, but we also wanted the packaging to feel really special too. So, and it, it, yeah, it's great. And, and price wise, as you. you mentioned earlier, I mean, it's between $45 and I believe around 55, right. For the 55, 60 for the, for the rep, uh, the Añejo. Añejo. Yeah. Añejo. So, Great price, great looking bottle, great tequila. John Barbados and Nick Jonas, thank you guys for taking the time. Thank you.
Dan, thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for the support. Hi, I'm Allison Janney, and you're here with me on What We're Drinking with Dan Dunn. And that's my sexy voice. Boom. Nick Jonas and John Varvatos' tequila is Villa One, and I dig it. I do like me some tequila, but when I'm home and I'm sipping, I can tell you, I've been on a rum kick. I've been on a big rum kick. Not just any rum. I'm talking about Batiste rum, which is the first sustainable American craft rum. I like to call it a 3R rum because the makers of Batiste rum practice regenerative agriculture. They use renewable energy and they make responsible choices. We should all do some more of that, shouldn't we? Batiste uses an eco-positive solar-powered manufacturing process from start to finish. Batiste rum is made from 100% fresh cane juice, unlike molasses or sugar crystals. Look, if you like your tequila 100% agave, you're going to like your rum 100% cane juice. They go from cane field to rum in just under 40 hours. That's minimal processing, no cooking, single distillation. It is distilled daylight. It is distilled love. It is distilled joy, baby. So check out BatisteRum.com to learn more. That is B-A-T-I-S-T-E-R-H-U-M.com. The H in rum is a tip of the hat to the French Caribbean where it's sourced. Try the Batiste rum, folks. Trust me on this. I know you trust me. You're here. Check it out. Hit me up at the imbiber. Tell me what you think of it. It's a great rum. You're going to love it. Joining me now on the program, I'm very excited about this because I don't often get to be at the vanguard of something that I think is (laughs) happening. I don't often get to do that because I'm, you know, I'm old, I'm a curmudgeon. Don't get to do, but in this case, I do feel like this is a moment. I feel like years from now, people are going to look back and they're going to go, how the hell did you get her on the show? So, oh my God. <laughs> am I being too flattering? Um, I love it. <laughs> she is, uh, she was born in El Paso, Texas. She is based in Los Angeles. She's got an amazing tune out right now that I just love. I really love it. It's called She Calls Me Daddy. Please welcome to the program, King Mala. Hi. Hi there. Hi. Oh my God. Thank you for having me. What an intro. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so King Mala is your moniker. Your real name is Arelli Castro. Yes. What should I call you on this for purposes? I'll just call you Arelli. Um, yeah, I like Arelli. Uh, my friends call me Rel as well. Rel. All right, Rel. Let's go Rel. You can call me Duh. Yeah. Sure for Dan. Duh, I love no, it. Dan's good. <laughs> so, Rel, let me explain to everybody what happened here. So, I've got a I've got a very old and dear friend who is in the music business and he often tries to keep me hip. You know, he'll send me stuff that. and he'll say, "You got to listen to this. This thing is great." And most of the time I'm like, "Me. Let me put on the talking heads." You know, like, "Let me go back. Let me put on yeah, so, yeah let me put on some Sly and the Family Stone." Nothing wrong with any of that. Love So in this particular case, my friend sent me this video for this song. She calls me daddy and I watched it and I was blown away. Here's a little bit of it right here. She's a little bit psycho, but she follows when I call in the middle of the night. You get it. You see what's going on. So, so Rel, tell us a little bit about the song and about you and about everything. Because I, I hope I'm not wrong here, but I do feel like this is, if you don't mind me saying, even though it's all about you, this is my moment right now. This is my moment where people are going to look back and they're going to go, you had her, you had her on the show when she hadn't been on 
This is way before she was on the Tonight Show. This is way. Oh my god! This is way before she was on Saturday Night Live. You had her first. Oh my god! Right, so, so tell us, tell us about you first off, and then the song and everything. Oh my God, I'm blushing, Dan. Jeez. Um, well, I put out, I wrote this song with my producer. I remember I walked into the studio. Am I allowed to curse on here? Fuck yeah. Is that cool? Fuck yeah. awesome. Um, uh, so so he, I walked into the studio and my producer was like, hey, let's write a fuck you song today. And I was like, okay. And so I tried to think of like, what is the situation that I wanted to just be like, fuck you, but I didn't. And I remember I was with, like a girl and and these two guys walked up to us and they're like, oh, are you guys dating? And I was like, yeah. And and they immediately like grabbed us by the waist and they were like, that's hot. And just immediately like disregarded like me being like, yeah, we're dating. And I remember and I remember in that moment I was just like, I was just so shocked I didn't do anything. And I always think about it and I was like, wish I could have just been like, fuck you. So I wrote this whole song about like kind of people invalidating like queer relationships and then, you know us just kind of being like, well, fuck you. Like she's mine anyway. So, and I think what's amazing about it is it, you know, it's a serious topic. It's, it's bullshit that someone would do that, but the way you handle it in the song is like, Hey man, like, sure. Think whatever you think. Yeah. She's talking to you, whatever. (laughs) Guess who she's fucking coming home with, you know? Right. That's the, and it's just, you handle it in such a great way. But I mean, the, the groove in that song is it's infectious and it, and it, you are claiming your sexuality at the same time. And you're also putting these douchebag dudes in their place. (laughs) Yeah, that was kind of, I mean, I feel like I'm definitely, when I write music, I'm definitely like a hundred times more confident than I am like in real life. So I wanted to write something that was fun and like upbeat and like unapologetic. And that was the whole goal. And I feel like the baseline like really carries that vibe too. My producer killed it on this track. It just came together like, so perfectly and i'm so in love with the song do you have the the rhythm the music in your head as well or do you just do the lyrics and then you've got your producer comes up with the music or how does that work um so it kind of depends my producer and i are very much like we're like twin flames like we are constantly co-writing constantly like in the studio together he he has a studio that's also a garage that's also his bedroom so he literally lives and breathes this music so I go over a couple times a week and sometimes he'll have a track for me sometimes sometimes he'll have a progression sometimes we'll have nothing and we'll start from scratch with this song I came in and he had the bass line and the beat and I remember I was picking him up I was we were gonna go get tattoos together and so I came over we were waiting to get tattoos and he was like oh I wrote this beat and we were like and I was like oh my god this is so sick and so we went and got tattoos and then we came back and write and wrote the song so it's like it starts different every time sometimes I come up with the progression but I always write the lyrics and the melody and we kind of just bounce it off of each other and then I write all the harmonies and stuff like that so very okay. much like mutual and input. you're from Texas yes El Paso and how long have you been in Los Angeles I've been here for almost five years. That blows my mind. I feel like I just got here, but I came here when I was 18 to go to music school and I've been here ever since. I love it. You've got songs out. I went on Spotify and you're up. You got 140,000 or so downloads already. How long has She Calls Me Daddy been out? Um, It's been out for a week today, actually. That's awesome. Like in a week, (laughs) you got 140,000 streams on Spotify The videos killing it on YouTube. Go, everybody, go out there, check it out. So it's been out a week. Does anything feel different at all? Is there any like is anything going? Because I know we're in COVID, so it yeah. makes it weird. Yeah. You're not you're not able to go out and do showcases and whatnot yet, right? But exactly. so where where are we now on on the career? On the career, well, so I just sit at my desk where I'm at right now, and I just work all day, and I do my thing and I film content and I do everything every day. Nothing has really changed in that respect. Like my day to day is very much the same, but like this song has just changed. I think the kind of people that are interacting with me now, like I feel like the fan base for this song has grown exponentially in the last week. And there's so many people now that are like connecting with me, connecting with the song. And like, I feel just more like connected to the people that listen to my music than ever, which is really cool. I also like, 
just a little bit blew up on TikTok. I went from like 9,000 followers to like 65,000 followers in the last week or so. So there's definitely a lot more friends on TikTok, which is really cool. Um, but in general, I just feel like I've met so many cool people because of this song. And that's like the biggest change and it makes me so happy, but lots of friends. <laughs> you touched on this earlier when you, you know, you talk about these guys that come up, put their arms around you. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, at its core, I think the song is just about normalizing queer relationships, mm-hmm. right? Like it's about, it's totally. about don't, don't look at me. Oh, that's so hot. You're together. You know, like yeah. it's, you would never say that like as, as a straight guy, I would never see an attractive, you know, heterosexual couple and go, Oh, you guys are together. Oh my God. That's so hot. You know, like, yeah, cause the guy would probably punch you in the face first of all. So mm-hmm. this is kind of your punch in the face, right? Exactly. Exactly. That's ex- that's the perfect way to put it. Wow. I love that so much. Um, but yeah, I kind of just really, I want to normalize queer relationships. I also like, I don't know, I wasn't super open about my sexuality before this. And like the fact that this song is what I'm kind of like coming out with makes me feel really good because it feels like I've always been a firm believer in like, it shouldn't be weird to be queer. Like, it should be as normalized as heterosexual relationships. So me just writing a song about an experience of mine is how I wanted to treat this. Like, this is just a song about my life. I didn't want to make it like, I don't know, super based around like what, oh my God, she's bi or make it like over-sexualized or anything. Like I just want to normalize these relationships and not make it a huge deal. Like it's just a fun song about a fuck you to a dumb dude. <laughs> that's- and and uh, you know, and I think that's a key point there too, because there's yeah. such a, a bunch of shit and I don't want to wade into it too much just about woke culture and what's this and this. Mm -hmm. And what I love about what you did is that you're delivering a really powerful message, but in a fucking fun song, man, like at the end, at the end of the day, (laughs) at the end of the day, I'm, you don't want people to be like, man, like, I don't know. Do you like, Oh man, like that message is it. Of course you want that. But at the end of the day, this is a groove, man. This is a great jam. And you want people to listen to your music and be like, fuck yeah, let's put this thing on. Right. Like totally, totally. And I love that. Like this song is very much about a queer relationship, but I feel like everyone kind of gets something from it just because like the groove is so fun. Like it's such a bouncy song like my parents love it my dad loves it like it's it's a song that's meant to make everyone just feel really good and like groove out but it's also about a queer relationship those things can exist at the same time you know i'm drinking a margarita here made with nick jonas's villa one tequila nick jonas and john barbados were just on the show before you (gasps) when you think about your career you look at someone like nick jonas who's had Mm -hmm. uh, you know staggering success amazing yeah totally does that something that seems real to you can you look at something like that and go yeah i could get that yeah i mean i'm i'm a huge like i'm really into like visualization and manifestation and i as cheesy as it probably sounds me saying it aloud i'm a huge dreamer and like I shoot for the fucking stars, dude. So when I look at a career that I like aspire to, like Nick Jonas, I feel like if I work hard enough and I'm authentic enough and I make good enough shit, I can get there. That's my mentality. You know, Um, it's definitely I know it's a lot of hard work. And I and that's the part where, like, I feel like, you know, that's the make it or break it thing is like, how hard are you willing to work? And I really believe that I can work hard enough to get what I want. So that's kind of my mentality with it. but I'm honestly just happy that anyone's listening to my music. I can't believe I made this song in a garage and people are listening to it. It's crazy. <laughs> so what comes next? Hopefully we're, you know, we're getting out of this thing in the next few months or so. Are, are there plans to get out and play the music live? What do you, what do you think? And what's coming next for you? Totally. I mean, I'm so excited for shows to come back. Like there's so much has changed for me musically and like in life throughout quarantine. So I'm so excited to like play these songs live. When I, when quarantine hit, I hadn't even put out my EP that I put out last year. Like I had no music out really. So I'm really excited to like be able to play all these songs and like finally get to put together a live show. I'm so excited for that. Um, And I have more music along the way. Like I've spent this entire quarantine writing nonstop. So there's like tons of singles coming this year and yeah. I'm excited for life to come back. There's lots of good stuff I have now. I've been working in quarantine. The single is She Calls Me Daddy. It's available 
anywhere you stream music. Check out the video. It is great. King Mala, a.k.a. Arelli Castro, I, I wish you, you know, nothing but the best, and I think the best is headed your way. Where can people find you on the social medias and all that stuff? Yes. Um, thank you so much for having me, first of all. Uh, of you can find me. Uh, it's at King you were way Music. more. You were way more fun than Nick, <laughs> Nick Jonas, by the way. <laughs> How dare you slander Nick Jonas? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But you, she... Rel did mention to me before we got on the air that you had a little bit oh of a crush gosh. on Nick Jonas back in the day. I did. He's, attra- I did. He's very attractive. Oh my God. When I was like 11, the Jonas Brothers, all the rage, Nick was my favorite, to be honest. Sorry, Joe. Sorry, Kev. Nick was, was the favorite. Well, isn't, is, I, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't know that much, but isn't Nick sort of the most talented one? Is he the best voice? You know, who's got the he's best got an voice? amazing voice. Ooh, they, they, Nick and Joe both have crazy good voices. Joe also came back with that, like, revival band. I think it was Cake by the Ocean. What was it? A DNCE. That band was amazing. He killed it. I feel like they've all blossomed. But Nick was my favorite. Nick was also favorite. the new, the new Jonas Brothers is so good. It's, it's hard to pick now. But there's Nick a new, a there's a new the Jonas Brothers. Yeah, there's some new songs. Oh my God. We didn't They're talk so about that. We didn't, all we talked about was the tequila. <laughs> uh, so wait, did you, where did the, on social media, where are we oh, going? Oh yeah. Uh, at King Mala Music on every social platform. I And King TikTok. Mala, by the way, is M-A-L-A. And let me mm-hmm. make sure I get this right. I did a little research. You went with King because fuck being somebody's queen, right? Yep. And Mala yep. means bad bitch in Spanish. Precisely, precisely. <laughs> a little nod to my Hispanic roots. I love it. Uh, I think <laughs> we're going to be hearing a lot more from you, and I need you to make me a promise that when you are huge, you'll still come back on this show. Absolutely. Anytime. <laughs> great. Rel, it was great talking to you, and we'll see you again. Sounds good. Thank you. That's going to do it for this episode of What we're drinking. I want to thank Nick Jonas and John Varvatos for a great interview. At least they were great. I don't know how I was. Also want to thank King Mala. Check her out, man. Go to Spotify. Go wherever you get your music. Check out King Mala. She is a hot new artist and she's got some staying power. I can feel that. Coming up in the future, next episode, we got comedian Big J Okerson. That's right, Big J and I are going to be drinking tequila. We're going to stick with the tequila theme, a different tequila this time out because we're coming up on Cinco de Mayo. So let's just keep rolling with tequila. I also got John Taffer from Bar Rescue is coming up. Uh, and uh, again, I invite you to follow me at The Imbiber. Follow the podcast at WWD underscore podcast. Oh, we're also going to be having a, another three-minute bartender you should check those out in three minutes. It's everything you need to know about your favorite drinks. That's all it is. And uh, I will be on the Adam Carolla show. The, the first, whatever the first Monday in May is. May 3rd. That's it. I come prepared here. And as always, folks, I want to thank you for, for joining. I know there's a lot of options out there in the podcast diverse, but you're choosing to spend time with me. And I love you for that. Thank you.